Good morning, everyone. Great to see all of you. Good morning again. Um, one of the things I want to say, especially for this morning, particular morning, is to a special welcome to those uh, Cal students here, especially those from AACF. I being from Cal myself, so go Bears. Now, now there's something that probably some of you don't really know about AACF, about Asian American Christian Fellowship. One of our past uh, pastors was instrumental in the founding of that chapter back in the 80s on a Berkeley campus. So CLC has had a long history with AACF, and it's good to see Dave here. Yeah, you're uh, one of those old timers. <laughs> and believe it or not, Dave used to have hair. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay. Now, many of you know I love to go fishing. And I want to point out something here. There's a big difference between going fishing and catching fish. Because unless you catch fish, you're just going on a long boat ride. And of course, I have proof that I can catch fish. So I think there's a picture behind me. Yep, that's from a recent trip. That uh, was actually kind of cherry on top. We weren't actually going for bluefin tuna. That fish is actually a small bluefin tuna, but it's something that I caught. Now, catching tuna is not easy. First, you have to find them, and then you have to get them to bite. All the while enduring the natural elements that are this wind, the hot sun, and the rolling waves. And if you are fortunate to hook one, then you have to bring them in. And these fish have very strong, sharp teeth, and they're very powerful. So they can easily break our lines. And when you lose one, you feel completely demoralized and defeated. Every fisherman has a story about the big fish that got away. So if this is so hard, why do we keep on fishing? Why do I keep on going fishing? Well, here's a picture why. That's a picture of sashimi. Sure, there's a thrill to catching fish, but I love to eat it even more. So especially the reward of freshly caught sashimi. Now, as Christians and here at Christian Layman Church, we love to share the bounty. So I know a lot of you have enjoyed the fish that my friends and I catch when we bring them home. So as a special welcome gift to the Cal students, uh, is there any freshmen among you? Oh, okay, there's a couple. All right, between two of you, uh, who has a birthday closest to today? Anyone have a celebrating birthday in September? August? May? I went. Oh, okay, May's closer, so you're the winner. So you come here. Uh, there's a little welcome gift, but there's also bluefin tuna in there. So. So, uh, share it. <laughs> okay, where was I? Uh, fishermen understand the cost of fishing. Getting up painfully early, having the right equipment, fighting the elements, overcoming motion sickness, finding fish to catch, and hoping they bite. And at the end of the day, 
can still come home empty-handed, skunked. But true fishermen, however, will not give up and will persevere through the hardship and the heartache. They go out and do it again and again and again, always with the great hope that the next cast will be the big one. That's why I believe it was not a coincidence that the first disciples that Jesus called to follow him were fishermen because they understood the cost and still had great hope. No pain, no gain. Our goal here at Christian Layman Church is to become transformed people. We cannot transform ourselves without God's help, but through the power of the Holy Spirit only. And, but there is one thing we can do. And Pastor Eric told us this in a verse he shared a couple weeks ago at the start of our current sermon series based on the book of Mark. In Mark 1, verse 15, Jesus said, Repent and believe the good news. So what does it mean to repent? Repent basically means simply to turn around. And turn around from what? Well, Jesus teaches a lifestyle that is opposite to the world's way. This way of living is not natural to us. It's not intuitive. It's not uh, even part of our culture. It goes against all practical common sense. Jesus invites people to turn away from the natural world and turn towards the kingdom of God, which is near. So why would anyone choose the kingdom? over the world because true followers of Jesus have this one thing in common. They believe the good news that's mentioned in Mark 1, verse 15. And what is that good news? That the kingdom of God is near. While the world is messed up and broken, the kingdom of God is perfect and whole. And some people call this place heaven. Jesus is implying that heaven is a better place than this world. And access to that place is near in the person of Jesus. So the question for all of us to wrestle with and something I want you to think about, do you believe that heaven is a better place than this world? A good definition for the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is wherever God is present and God's people are doing his will. Again, the kingdom of God is wherever God is present and God's people are doing his will. Believing these two truths, that Jesus is God and the good news that the kingdom is near will bind us with Jesus and that relationship transforms us forever in a way that the world cannot ever do. So here's another question I want us to reflect on this morning. And this question is critical, whether you have been a Christian for many years or just getting to know him. Who is Jesus to you? And do you truly believe that he is good news? If not, then it will be impossible to be transformed to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, there is a cost. And to handle that cost, Jesus has to be with you. If you have your Bibles, we will turn to uh, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38. If 
If you don't, we have, we'll flash them behind me on the screens. And these verses that Jesus is speaking from will tell us about the cost of following him. So reading from Mark 8, verses, uh, I'm reading from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, starting with verse 34. Then he, he being Jesus, called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And that is the word of the Lord. So let me pray for us before we dive deeper into his word. Heavenly Father, help us to see, hear, know what you want us to experience. Transform us through your word that never returns void. Show us a way to wholeness and vitality of life in Jesus Christ, a way that is opposite to, the, to what we are comfortable with and familiar with. Mold us, shape us to be more like Jesus each and every day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. Any serious sports fan knows that Game 7s in a best-of-seven series in any major sport is very exciting, but also very heart-wrenching for the loser. It's do-or-die time. Both players and fans know that. Now, former NBA player Zaza Pachulia who happened to play for the Warriors and won two championships with them, said this when he was with the underdog Atlanta Hawks after winning a playoff game, uh, playoff game six over the mighty Celtics to force a game seven. In his heavy Georgian accent, he said, nothing easy, nothing easy. Game sevens are tough and hard. Well, similarly, kingdom living can be too. Yes, there's the wonderful gift of eternal life, freely given by God, but there's a cost to following Jesus. In Mark 8, Jesus describes for us that cost. First, there's a cost of going opposite to the world and choosing Team Jesus, the winning side. And we see this in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. First, let me start by saying what Jesus did not mean in verse 34. Now, many people interpret the cross to be taken up as some burden they must carry in their lives. A broken marriage, a thankless job, a physical disability, whatever. With prideful self-pity, they look at their difficulty and say, that's my cross I have to carry. That is not what Jesus is talking about here when he says, take up your cross and follow me. 
When a person carried a cross in Jesus' day, no one thought of it as merely as a persistent annoyance or symbolic burden. To a first century man or woman, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, death by crucifixion. The cross represented a torturous death. To carry a cross was to face the most painful and humiliating method of dying that humans ever developed. In addition to dying staked to a wooden cross, the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion. And you have to realize that cross was very heavy, especially after being tortured, starved for not being fed, and exhausted from not being able to sleep. Carrying a cross meant back then you were about to die and that you would face ridicule and disgrace along the road to your execution. Now that's not a pretty picture, not a very attractive image, but that was the cost that early believers faced for being disciples of Jesus. Persecution was real. So, What does that mean for us today? In contrast, 2,000 years later, Christians have kind of lost this view of the cross being ugly and horrific. Instead, many see the cross as a cherished, even beautiful symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. Now, of course, all of that is true, but we must not forget the pain of the cross the price that Jesus paid for us. Now, putting both of those images together, the cross is a paradox of the beauty and suffering. I don't think here in America, many of us literally will have to carry a wooden cross to our execution. But I do believe that following Jesus will involve some suffering. Because Jesus suffered, we must therefore expect that if we follow in his footsteps. But here's something I want you to be assured. When we experience suffering for accepting Jesus' call to take up the cross, we are not alone because he is with us if we follow him. How can we practically apply what Jesus says here in verse 34? For me, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow him, you must identify with him. And by carrying your cross like Jesus did, that shows Jesus and the world that you are on Jesus' team. And you know, this, this concept is not foreign to us. We all wear clothing that tell others what sports teams we support, what what universities we attended, what employers we work for, what brands we endorse. So whether symbolically or literally, Jesus wants us to take up the cross to declare we are on his team, the winning side. And what makes Jesus a winner? His sacrifice on the cross and subsequent resurrection brought victory over death and assured us of the gift of eternal life. 
John 3.16 says this, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you haven't made that, that commitment yet, I invite you to do so if you are ready. You do not have much to lose, but you have much to win. The first cost, Jesus tells us, is to reject the world. Going opposite to the world and choosing Team Jesus, the winning side. Next, he says in verse 35, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Jesus' command to take up your cross and follow me is a call to self-sacrifice. In verse 34, uh, Jesus named this as denying oneself. In verse 35, Jesus goes even further. One must be willing to die in order to follow Jesus. Dying to self is an absolute surrender to God. It's all about giving up control. Which, which leads me to my second cost that I see in this passage. And that's, there is no I in team. To follow Jesus means taking up your cross daily, giving up your hopes, your dreams, possessions, and even your very life if need be, for the cause of Christ. It's no longer about me, but Jesus and others. It's the paradox that it is better to give than to receive. We no longer can think, me, 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 or how will I profit, which is very hard to understand in a culture where we emphasize having it your way and individual rights. Following Jesus requires us to willingly give up our rights, our opinions, our privileges, what is owed to us, even our power and authority, which is not easy. And I want to point out something in verse 35 that is important to remember. This sacrifice is not for just trivial earthly things like fame and fortune. Jesus invites us to follow him and to die to self for him, for Jesus, and for the sake of the gospel. And what is the gospel? Another term for gospel is good news. So going back to Mark 1, verse 15, the good news is that the kingdom of God is near. And that good news is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. No I in team means less of me and more of Jesus. No longer do I promote myself but lift up Jesus to others. Jesus is good news, and we are not. And that's the good news that God wants true followers to spread throughout the world. But here's the problem. We have no issue about sharing the latest foodie restaurants to our friends or recommending the best vacation spots to go to, or luxury cars to buy. Yet, to share about the good news of Jesus, I venture to guess there's a lot of silence. Because to share cost us. Now, back in biblical times, wherever Jesus went, he drew, he drew massive crowds. 
Their view of who, who the Messiah really was and what he would do was often distorted. They thought that Christ would immediately usher in the restored kingdom, that the people believed he would free them from the oppressive rule of their Roman occupiers. Jesus even said to the people in John 6, verse 26, they only came for free food and free healing without recognizing him as God, to receive benefits without giving commitment to follow. That is why Jesus' statement here in Mark 8, that following him requires taking up a cross, made people think twice about their motivations and level of commitment. The gate is narrow. So my third point is this. To truly carry the cross for Jesus means there's the few, the proud, the kingdom people. Many of you will recognize this as being similar to the recruiting slogan that the Marine Corps has. That slogan infers that very few choose to become Marines and even less are successful. Sadly, the same can be said with following Jesus. What Jesus is saying here in Mark 8 was his attempt to dissuade people from following him to limit the number of false converts and insincere disciples. God only seeks true worshipers who will worship the Father in the spirit and truth. Jesus' call to take up the cross and follow me was a way to screen out the double-minded and hypocrites. So here's a question to wrestle with and be serious about. Are you ready to take up your cross and follow Jesus? Consider these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your closest friends? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your reputation? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your job? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing your life? In some places in the world, these consequences are a reality. Following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean all these things will happen to you, but the disciple of God, Christ must be willing and be prepared to suffer loss. Now, here's my story. I have uh, cousins who were basically banned by their Buddhist parents from going to church. They had to climb out of their bedroom windows at night to sneak out to go to worship service. My missionary friends in countries like Japan, uh, Indonesia, uh, in Muslim countries, they tell me that if a person becomes a Christian, they're disowned by their families. Personally, I didn't have to sneak out to go to church, but my parents were not too happy when I came onto our church staff and became a pastor. That meant cutting back from my first profession of being a dentist. My parents were concerned for me financially 
because I had a wife and at that time two young children to support. Now I can say, and I think it's probably okay to reveal, my starting salary, salary here back then was just under $17,000. The kicker was at the time I declined to pursue a position as a staff dentist with the Santa Clara County and that had plenty of benefits and offered me a salary closer to six figures. Instead, I chose to follow Jesus and join our staff here. Now, I know, I know you don't want to hear me whine about the cost of following Jesus, but I have no regrets because I have been blessed for more, far more than I could ever imagine. And that's my story. So what's your story? Are you willing to take up your cross? If faced with a choice, and life is all about choices, choices. And my favorite movie from Indiana Jones, remember he said, choose wisely. If faced with a choice, Jesus or the comforts of this life, which will you choose? Mark 8, verse 38 continues, implies that there will be a judgment day where we will come before God and Jesus for an accounting of our lives. And apparently, we will be evaluated whether we are ashamed of Jesus or not. Mark 8, verse 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. The opposite of ashamed is to be proud. But as Christians, are we not supposed to be prideful? Well, there are some things that we can be proud of or boast about. Because the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17. But the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Pastor Ben, last week, said that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And today we are learning following Jesus includes not being ashamed of him. Therefore, one tangible application to demonstrate our commitment to follow Jesus is to share about Jesus to somebody, anybody, in your families, your workplace, your neighborhood, off the streets, wherever. For many of this, this will take us out of our comfort zones. This will bring us out of the shadows and into the light as being Christians. And there can be a cost for doing this, which I covered in those questions that I gave you earlier about our willingness to follow Jesus. Although taking up our cross is tough, the reward is priceless. Nothing in this world is worth giving up eternal life. And I hope you agree with me. So my challenge for all of us is to not be ashamed of Jesus and share the good news of Jesus to someone in your circles by the end of this year. And that would be an amazing thing if all of us did that. Prior to these verses from chapter 8, Jesus gave, this, gave his famous Sermon on the Mount where he describes what kingdom people look like. 
In Matthew 7, verse 21 to 23, he tells us what true and false disciples are. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we... Did we not prophesy in your name and your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Those verses are hard. I mean, they almost haunt me every day. Apparently to enter heaven and be a true follower, one must do the will of God. So what is the will of God? Going again, back to Mark 1, verse 15. The will of God is to repent and believe the good news. The will of God is for us to repent, which involves confession and conduct that mirrors Jesus. To proclaim Jesus as the Christ and to walk according to his commandments all the days of your life. To follow Jesus, we must take up our cross, and that has a cost. It's rejecting the world and choosing Team Jesus. It means sacrifice because there is no I in team, and not to be ashamed of Jesus, but to be the few, the proud, the kingdom of God who boast about Jesus to the world. No pain, no gain. Nothing easy, but following Jesus, I assure you, is eternally worth it. And if you don't believe me, then believe the millions of Christians who have gone before me. So let's pray. Heavenly Gracious Father, we are thankful for your son Jesus, who paid the price so that we may have the gift of eternal life. Help us to overcome our insecurities and fear to boast about Jesus to others so that the world can hear the good news that the kingdom of God is near. Bless our church and the, and the people so that your kingdom may advance. And with your protection and favor, the enemy cannot stop this movement. And I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.